Well, fantastic. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, okay? And let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. And we'll finish up our message we began last Sunday. But before we do, before we dive back into it, just be reminded once again, which by the way, you may be wondering, this is about the 27th time I've told you this reminder. You may be wondering if I'm going to remind you every time we come to 1 Peter. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, and I'm going to remind you when we come to 2 Peter too, okay? Because it's good to keep the overall context of the book you're studying and reading through in mind. It helps you to uh, prevent, you know, things like cults and stuff like that. So, uh, so yes, I'm going to remind you. But just keep in mind, okay, as we dive back into 1 Peter, that 1 Peter, or Peter himself rather, is writing for this purpose. He's writing to strengthen the brethren, just as Jesus told him to do in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Jesus said, when thou, art, when, you, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus instructed Peter to do this because, listen, God Almighty knew that one day, especially soon after the birth of the New Testament church, that these believers in the first century were going to need a lot of strength. They're going to need a lot of help. And that was going to come when Peter would sit down in an inspiration of the Holy Spirit and pin down these words in 1 Peter and 2 and Second Peter to give them great hope from the eternal pages of the Word of God. Hope through the fiery trials that they were facing. And those fiery trials were quite literal. Hope for the trouble they were going through. Really just hope for the next day. And that hope that he was given, keep in mind, is not just some wishful thinking. Uh, that hope is not some game of chance when you flick a coin in a wishing well and hope things work out. That's not hope. Rather, the hope that our great God gives us and that the Bible gives us is a confident assurance that's found on the very promises and person of God Himself. And that is real hope. And these first century believers needed it then, and we need it in the 21st century today. But you want to find it from the same place, from the eternal pages of Scripture. You'll find your help. You'll find your hope that you need. And no doubt many of you here need some. Get in the Word of God. Let God strengthen you and help you and give you great, great hope. Listen, you can trust God and you can trust His Word. He'll give you hope. So that's what Peter's trying to do as he looked through and, and writes the first and second Peter here. All right, But as we come back to our message this morning... Remember that in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verses number 8, we're reading 8, 8 through 12 here in just a minute, but to remember that uh, as Peter starts out in verse number 8, when he uses this word finally, understand uh, he's not using this word as in he is stating his completion of his writing. Rather, he is drawing a conclusion. He is, uh, he is concluding this section of instructions that he started back in chapter number 2. And that conclusion he gives is this. Look at it with me. In verses number 8 through 12, when the Bible says, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing. Knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, I encourage you to underline that, highlight that, circle it, that phrase. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord 
For over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Our Father, we look to your word again this morning. I pray to open our hearts and minds to it. As the psalmist said, open thou mine eyes and may behold wondrous things from thy law. I pray that you help us do that and to grow closer to Jesus today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with that phrase, began looking at last Sunday when Peter said, love life and see good days. I don't know about you, but I love that phrase. I do. I love it. I mean, who doesn't want to love life and see good days? Anybody who does not want that in here? Okay, just making sure. All right, I'd say most people want to love life and see good, good days. But keep in mind in which the context that he's writing this very phrase. He said this time they're not going through some good days. No, they're quite troubled times. Difficult days, no doubt, through the persecution, through the great trouble that all these believers were facing. But in the midst of it, Peter still gives them great hope in order to strengthen them. And I want you to know you can still have some good days, even in the midst of bad days. But the question is this, how can we? How can we see good days even in the midst of bad ones? How can we continue to love life even in the midst of trouble, heartache, and turbulent times? How can this be? Well, in this text here that we read, Peter sums it all up with several admonitions. And we took, we took note of this first one last time. And just by a quick recap, remember this. We can see good days when we have right responses. When we have right responses, we must respond right. And Peter tells us how we can and should respond. There's five of them. And we'll list them again quickly. He said, listen, we need to respond in unity. Again, in verse, verse number eight, he says, be you all of one mind. You see, during troubled days, we must be unified. Why? The devil wants to divide. That's why. He wants to divide and conquer and ultimately devour. He wants to divide your family. He wants to divide your church family. Ultimately, he wants to divide your walk from God. That's what he wants to do. That's his desire. But don't let him be unified. Then he says this, a response of compassion. He says, have, having compassion one of another. We must have compassion one of another, especially through uh, troubled times and dark days. We must. Why? Because we're made of the same dirt. And we all go through the same type of trouble. Job says that man that's born of woman a few days and full of trouble. And he wasn't just talking about male, he was talking about mankind. We all have trouble. And so therefore have compassion one of another. Then he says be pitiful. Remember, this word be pitiful is not just some emotion or feeling sorry for someone. It moves us, being pitiful moves us into action with a desire to help, to relieve some of that trouble or some of that pain they may be going through, to lift them up some, somehow, some way. And if it's in your ability to do so, do it and be pitiful. And then he says this, he gives a response of courtesy. Now, now remember, being courteous is uh, just going beyond just being kind. Rather, it carries with it the idea of service and serving someone other than yourself. We live in such a, a self-serving, self-pleasing world and age where, where this kind of goes in the face of that. But if you want to be courteous, you'll seek to serve, serve others. Then we saw the response of love when he says love as brethren. This would be the, the precipice of the responses 
Why would that be the height of the responses? Because, listen, if we would respond with true, genuine love, this would solve so many uh, issues of life, even with, with family, with church family, every human relationship, if we respond this way in true, genuine love, a lot of things will be settled. And we begin to see some good days. Just as Paul said that love is the fulfilling of the law. So folks, I want you to see these once again. That if you want to have some good days even in the midst of bad ones, respond right. Then let's move on. Number two, major point, number two, main point. We want not only to have the right responses, but we need to have the right reactions as well. Look at verse number 10 with me, all right? The Bible says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. In those two verses we just read, you will find this phrase three different times, let him. You find it once in verse number 10. You find it twice in verse number 11. But he says, let him. Now when he writes this, is Peter, is Peter kind of asking for permission here? Oh, what is he trying to tell us? Is he, is he asking for permission type of thing? What, what is going on when he says, let him? You see, he's not asking for permission. The Word of God is not asking for permission on our behalf. Rather, what he is doing, what the Bible is doing to believers is this. It is demanding this type of reaction. You see, the phrase, let him here, it's an imperative. It's a command. And if we want to love life and see good days, then we will obey these imperatives and react correctly during these times. What are those imperatives? Let's break them down quickly. In the first phrase, when we see let him, listen, in verse number, verse number 10, when he sees let him, he says this, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So that first imperative has to do with our speech. The Bible has a lot to say about what we say. Do you know that? Nearly the entire chapter of your Bible is given to your tongue. To our speech. The Bible has a lot to say about what we say. Why? Well, because what we say, it matters. For many times we can be too quick to shoot off at the mouth and too quick to regurgitate what we may have heard and have no clue if it's true or not. And listen, if we're quick with our tongue, it can be dangerous. If we're quick with our words, it can get us into trouble. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, verse 19, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Uh, listen, many of the problems in life that can be caused by wrong words that are spoken in the wrong spirit. You see, preacher, that sounds a little bit exaggerated, that a lot of the problems that we can encounter in life can, be because, can come because of Wrong words, but in the wrong spirit? That's kind of exaggerated, don't you think? Nah. Let me answer that question with a question. Here's the question. You ever heard of World War II? <laughs> you know how that came to be? With over 35 million people losing their lives? Because of one man's speech. His silver tongue. So I don't think it's exaggerated at all. I think it's quite wise if we're careful with our words. 
I mean, after all, who was considered the wisest man in the Bible? Of course, other than Jesus. Starts with an S, ends with an Solomon. Solomon, good job. And Solomon wrote three, he's a human penman at least, so three books of the Bible. Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and starts with a P, ends with Proverbs. Proverbs, all right, come on, folks. Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, he was writing to his son, chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. See, Solomon was letting his son know that it was from the condition of our hearts that can produce the conduct of our lives. He was just reminding him, as well as us even today, that, uh, that it, that's where the conduct can come from. How our heart's condition is. And by the way, your heart's condition we're talking about is not that, that pumping organ within your chest cavity. We're talking about the biblical heart, meaning, meaning the mind, you see. Because as the Bible says, as he thanketh in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23 and verse number 7. So Solomon was making an emphasis here and he lets it be known to his son that, that what can condition our hearts and what can condition our minds can be this as well. In verse 24, Put away from thee a froward mouth. Perverse lips put far from thee. He was telling his son, listen, if you want to guard your heart, you want to protect the condition of your heart, then you need to be careful what you say. He was saying this, boy, you better watch your mouth. Let me ask you a question. Any parents here, uh, you ever had that said to you or have you said it yourself to your kids? Anybody? I'm glad I'm not the only one, all right? Glad I'm not the only sinner here. I heard it a lot, okay, growing up. Boy, you better watch your mouth. I heard it a lot. And that's basically what Solomon was saying in, in, this, in this text because he was saying what you say matters. And do us, do us well to guard what, what we say. I know you've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And I understand the teaching of this phrase as people teach it to kids and whatnot. They're teaching kids to try to rise above words, to be stronger than just a mere word. And I understand that, but listen, the fact still remains that that's not always the case. It can be words that come out of our mouths can be quite hurtful or helpful, yes. They can be quite hurtful. James said this in James chapter 3, verse 6 through 10, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. That's some strong language. And by the way, he's writing to believers, not unbelievers. He goes on to say this, for every, every kind of beast and every bird and of serpents and things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made at the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing. He says this, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. I understand what we say can do more damage than we ever could think or ever could believe. It could cut deeper than we could ever imagine. And those cuts, those wounds can last a long time. 
In Proverbs 18, 7 through 8, a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And by the way, when he says the innermost parts there, he's talking about the deepest place that you could possibly go. But what reaches to the deepest place? Your words. What you say, so therefore be careful what you say and how you say it. You see, we need to imitate the Lord Jesus in this matter. And if the Lord possesses your heart and life, then we should respond, react as he did with a life that's full of grace and truth. And so if you have an issue, have a problem with your tongue, with your speech, then can I encourage you with these verses? Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, I would rather over-operate in grace than the opposite be true. I would rather get to heaven and Jesus say, Philip, you're just too kind of them people. <laughs> now, now, do I think he's going to say that? No, <laughs> I don't. But I would rather that be the case than the opposite be true. Let your speech be with grace. Psalm 141 verse 3, set a watch, that means a guard, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Listen, we all face difficult days. We all face troubled times, but as we face them, we must be careful what we say. Look at it again, verse number 10. Let him, he's saying, you better do this. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, they speak no guile. You want to see some good days in love life? Be careful what you say. And how you say it. What is another imperative that he gives on how we should react? All right. Number one, deals with our speech. Number two, he deals with our sin. And this has to do more with our reaction to our sin. And what is that reaction we should have to our sin? Look again at verse number 11. That phrase there, let him, here it is, eschew evil. Now, we don't use this word a whole lot in our modern day vernacular, but I want you to know this is a good word and it is a strong word. Uh, this word means to turn aside, to, to avoid, to, to shun. And so this, this definition of this word kind of gives us the reaction, all right, to do this, to, to move away from it, turn aside, to, to avoid, but it doesn't just stop with reaction because it gives us a reason for that reaction, all right? And here it is. Here's that reason that to askew something. You turn from it because of how bad it is. That's why. That's eschewing. That's what that means. We despise something. We hate it and therefore we turn from it. Let me ask you a question this morning. Anybody here, you hate something? You really hate it. Let's, let's just be kind and say, is there a certain food that you hate? Anybody? There's some food you hate. Good. Uh, let me ask you this question. Is there anybody here that uh, you're, you, you really like, you have no problem with blue cheese? Anybody? Bless your sinful hearts. All right. I want you to know 
that I hate blue cheese so much that I, I will askew from it. All right? Let me tell you why. I remember going to a fancy restaurant one time. I've only been to two, so yes, I remember that one, all right? And at this particular fancy restaurant, everything was fantastic. The food was good. The steak was to perfection. Everything was good and highly expensive. But after I devoured everything they gave me, because I was going to pay for it anyway, after I devoured it all, they came to me with the dessert menu. And they said, sir, would you like to hear the dessert menu? And I said, is it included with the price? Yes, it is. Then yes, of course, I want to hear what's on the dessert menu. And they began to list off the desserts. And they all sounded fantastic. But my heart immediately went to this dessert when, she, when the waiter says, and we also have blue cheesecake. I'm like, man, I love cheesecake. I love strawberry cheesecake. I love blueberry cheesecake. I love cheesecake when you put caramel on it. I love cheesecake when you dip it down in chocolate. I love plain cheesecake. I kind of sound like Bubba Gump. You know? <laughs> I like cheesecake. I like it. And so as soon as he said about cheesecake, I said, yes, that's what I want. I want the blue cheesecake. Please bring it out to me. Now, as he brought it out to me and set it in front of me, I took one big old bite of it, put it in my mouth. I guess this ain't cheesecake. I looked at it a little bit and examined it a little bit more, and I'm like, it looks a little, a little moldy. And I asked the waiter, I said, sir, there's something wrong with your cheesecake. He looked at me and said, well, what do you mean? I said, it tastes old and just gross. Do you guys not make it fresh? Like, this is a fancy place. Do you not make your fresh cheesecakes every day? He said, no, oh, sir, we, we made that fresh today. I said, there's something wrong with it. I took another bite and I said, I can't, I can't eat any more of this. Please take this cheesecake away. He said, sir, what'd you say? I said, please take this cheesecake away. He said, no, that ain't cheesecake. I'm like, that's what you said. He said, no, that's not what I said. I said, we have blue cheese cake. I looked at him. I said, why in the world? Would you in your right mind put that on dessert menu and serve it to your guests? Blue cheese, cake. And I thought I was crazy. I said, no, sir, I'll find something else. Just bring me vanilla ice cream. You can't go wrong. Just plain vanilla ice cream. But from that moment on, when it comes to blue cheese, cake or not, I eschew from it, Okay. I want nothing to do with it. I will avoid it at all costs. Don't put it with my wings. Give me ranch. Amen. All right. I don't want blue cheese. I don't want it. It's nasty. I hate it. I can't say it enough. But in this context, Peter ain't talking about blue cheese. What is he talking about eschewing from? Look at it again. Let him askew, what's that next word? All right, seven of you looking at your Bibles. Okay, everybody look at it. Verse number 11. Say the next word when I stop. Let him askew evil. In this moment, in this context, here is what Peter is getting at. Really, here is what God is getting at when it comes to hating something. Evil. Hating C. 
sin. Now, when it comes to evil and sin, we have no problem hating the sin of others. Don't get quiet. We have no problem pointing out the evil and wrong of others and avoiding that. What about your own? What about when it comes to your sin? You're wrong. Yes, you're evil. We have no problem hating anybody else's. But when it comes to our faults, do we, as the word means, disdain them? Or do we entertain them? Do we, do we hate our sin or do we excuse our sin? Do we seek to overcome it or do we seek to cover it up? Talking about having some good days here. They're going to have some good ones. Eschew evil. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confess and forsakes them shall have mercy. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do you respond to your own sin? Can I encourage you to react this way? Eschew it. <laughs> Hate it so much you want to stay away from it. So these are some reactions we should have. As he points the reactions about, about our speech, reactions about our sin, and thirdly, a reaction about this, about our seeking. Look at verse number 11 again. And that latter phrase, when you find the second let him, it says, let him seek peace and ensue it. What is Peter getting at here? What is the Lord trying again to teach us through his word here? Well, again, it's pretty simple. You see, within the context of this book as a whole, again, be reminded they're facing persecution and great hardships. And one could easily stir up trouble. Yes? easy. But for the child of God, this is not what we should seek. This is not what we should be stirring, though I've met some Christians in my life who think that it's their spiritual gift to stir up trouble. <laughs> you ain't going to find that in the Bible. But That's not what the child of God should do, to seek trouble and seek to stir up trouble. Rather, here's what the child of God should be doing. Look at your Bibles again. Let him. This is what you need to do. Do this. Let him seek peace and ensue it. That word ensue means to run after, to pursue with great effort, even to the point of exhaustion. <laughs> That's what it means. But what should you be pursuing? Peace. So yes, if you want to, you want to go find trouble, you want to seek it, you will find it. But I also believe, according to the word of God right here, if you want some peace... You can find that too. The Bible still says in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, I understand sometimes it may not be possible to always live in peace with everyone, but that does not mean we should not try. 
So maybe there's some turmoil in your home, turmoil with some family. Try to live in peace and sue it. Seek it. As much as is possible. Live peaceably with all men. Especially if you want to see some good days. If you want to keep your days miserable, fine, man. You go right ahead and live in turmoil. I don't want it. I want peace. If you want it, seek it. And ensue it. All right, so we see we need to have the right responses, the, the right reactions. And quick, quickly, I want to see this. If we're to have some good days, we need to have the right reason. <laughs> the right reason. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, what I mean is this. We need to keep the right motive in mind. All right? Now, we all have motives, yes? Anybody here have motives in your life? You say, I live without any motives. Pfft, okay, whatever. All right. Thank you again for being with us from heaven. We appreciate it so much. All right. No, we all have motives. Okay. Uh, what's your motive for going to work? To get money, income, to pay for bills. Uh, you know, food's a good bill to pay for. Uh, housing, have shelter, right? So going to work is a good motive. Well, actually, the motive, because you're hungry, that's what makes you go to work, all right? So you have motives. That's what I'm getting at. Everybody has motives. Everybody. But what's a good motive to keep all these responses, all these reactions in the forefront of our minds, especially when we see some good days? What's a motive for that? Why should I? Great question. Look at it with me in verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Peter was pointing out the simple, most greatest motive we could ever have in our Christian walk in life. It's just Jesus. It's the Lord. And he points to a few truths quickly. I'll, I'll list them for you here within the context of these circumstances that helps these individuals, should help these believers to see, to love life and see good days. He says, this, he says this about the Lord. Understand the Lord, He sees. He sees where you are. He sees your struggle. He sees your pain. He sees. You know, it's good to be seen, is it not? It's okay, do like this. Yes, we, we want to be seen. It's all right. The folks want to, be, want to be seen. They want to know they're doing a good job. They, they want to know that they, they've been a help to you. Uh, they, want, they want to be seen when they're hurting. They want to be seen when they need help themselves. They want to be seen and, and they, they want to be uh, recognized in, in those moments. But here in this text and context, Peter's letting them know, though nobody else sees you, sees your hurt, sees your pain, or sees anything good you've done. He says this, for the, Lord, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, meaning he sees it. Nobody else may see you, but the Lord does. Therefore, do what's right. He sees. But not only does he see, he hears Again, this is something we want. We want people to, to hear us. We want to, be, want to be heard. And I'm thankful that I can look at the Word of God. No, no, nobody else may hear me. Nobody may, no one may hear my cry. Nobody may hear my prayer. Nobody may hear my pain. 
God does. He hears. He hears. And he listens. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. <laughs> he hears. But then know this. Number three, he knows. He sees, he hears, but he knows. Too many times we think, Again, going back to the context of what these people are facing at this moment. Too many times we think that the people are, that are doing wrong, they're going to get away with it. Who here, it bugs you when people get away with evil and wrong. It bugs you. I hope it does. <laughs> All right. It bugs me too. If we think they're going to get away with it, they're not going to be punished for the evil. They're going to get off scot-free. But listen, they're not. Why? He knows. You see, I can imagine these believers at this moment as they're going through such persecution, as their family's been hauled off to prison, been tortured, even put to death. There, maybe some of their families have been crucified. Maybe some of their families have been thrown in the Colosseum and fed to the lions. And they wonder, does God know this? Does he know what I've gone through? Does he know what they're doing? Oh, yeah. He knows. And by the way, he keeps perfect record. He knows. And one day those that have done wrong, as the Bible says here, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, as he knows what is going on, what these evil individuals have done to, to his dear saints, he, as he knows this, listen, one day they will answer for it and they will not get away with their evilness. They won't escape the almighty righteous judgment of a holy God because he knows. He knows. So maybe you think there's somebody that's done you wrong and they've gotten away with it. No. God knows. He knows. Maybe you think you're trying to get away with something. Mm -mm. He knows. Your pastor may not know, your parents may not know, no one else around you may, may not know, but the God in heaven who does. And this should motivate us to respond right, to react right, because he knows. I'm thankful that he does. If you keep that on the forefront of your mind, it'll keep you out of some trouble. <laughs> you know, when you was a kid and you got in trouble, if you knew your mom and daddy were watching, would you have gotten in trouble? No, no, right? No, right? Man, some of you guys are rough. No. I would think you'd say no. If I knew my mom was watching, I'm not going to do this, right? I got, when I was a kid, I got a mason jar. It was, it was one of the blue ones. They're like really expensive, I was told, after I destroyed it. And uh, if I'd have known they were watching me, I wouldn't have taken that one, you know. But God sees everything. He knows. So therefore, respond right. React right. Just do what's right. And you will begin to see some good days. Continue to love life. God help us to respond right, react right, and keep the reason for it all in the forefront of our minds. And that reason is the Lord. That's why we do it, for Him. <laughs> 